This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Digital Audio Health by Cymatrax. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you believe that there is more to life than what you see right now and you want to find out more, listen in as her guests share their journey and their extraordinary experiences. Now, here is your host, Rhonda Grant. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show. Sometimes the universe has a way of placing people or obstacles in your path to help guide and direct you on your mission. Listen in as we discover the path my guest has traveled. Have they been inspired by a calling, crafted their journey, or a bit of both? I invite you to embrace the conversations and to use them to help you to recognize if this is happening in your life. Our guest today is Gail Heisen. Gail has had paranormal experiences since she was a teenager. Today, in the research community, Gail is known as a telepath, psychic, and remote viewer, someone who accurately sees distance or future events. The chapter on telepathy in Dr. Dean Radin's international bestseller, Supernormal, describes one of the many successful paranormal experiences with Gail as a subject. Gail attended Woodstock Music Festival in 1969, appears in the Woodstock documentary, and is featured in the recent book, 50 Years of Peace and Music. She has contributed to many experiments and papers on paranormal phenomena. Gail has been welcomed into indigenous cultures, including the Haichal of Mexico and Haida of Alaska and shamans of Mongolia. She has led an unconventional life and found herself accepted into other cultures by just being herself. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show, Gail. It's so nice to be interviewing you. Thank you so much for having me here today. Thank you. So my first question is, what was your first memory of having telepathy? Can you remember how old you were? I can't because when I was young, the things that happened to me were more of um, uh, I would leave my body and like travel around my house as a child and see everyone else sleeping. Wow. Love everyone. And I would kind of, I would call it flying. So I would be flying yeah. around the house. Yeah. So that I couldn't, I can't call that telepathy, but it's my first memories of doing things that were not what I would consider of the ordinary. Right. No, that wouldn't be ordinary. No. And that it, was uh, very comforting to me. It wasn't like a scary experience as a child mm-hmm. and it's something that I thought everybody did, but found out everybody doesn't do that. But mm-hmm. uh, as I got older and became a teenager, I found that I could find that I could actually take this flying ability, as I told you, I called flying and go further from my home and I could go above the house and I could go down the street and I could go above the city. And uh, by the time I was in my 20s, I found I could go, you know, above California or, you know, really, really see from a distance, uh, but not actually have my body with me at the same time. Mm hmm. Uh, the other thing that I experienced a lot when I was young, which also is, doesn't fit in with telepathy, um, is more of a knowingness. Mm-hmm. And this has to do centered around death, where okay. I would just have a knowingness even, you know, I would look at, there was an instance where I looked at my grandfather, and I think I was about 15 or so. Yeah. And yeah. I just knew he was going to die now. But he was on his way to work and perfectly healthy. But within two weeks, he was in the hospital and, you know, died, you know, a couple of weeks after, you know, died in the hospital. Um, so there were things like that where I would know things that were going to happen. Um, 
and then I had a lot of dreams as a child um, that I don't think I understood as well as, as I did later on in life, what those <clears throat> dreams might have had meant to do with things that had happened in my childhood. Mm -hmm. It was those sort of things. And then by the time I was 15, I was already doing medical diagnosis um, in San Francisco. And so I, that's not really a telepathy, but it's where I'm given the name and the age and the city that a person is in. I've never met the person, but someone who knows that person is in the audience, who's written down the sicknesses of the person. And I would describe what their sicknesses were. And the more that I did that, because I did it for almost two years, the more that I did it, I got into incredible details. Like I could see the room they were sitting in, the house that they had. It wouldn't just be, um, you know, what they, whether they had, you know, emphysema. Mm -hmm. A lot more information would come the more that I did them. Right. Really up until 15, the kinds of things that I did. Um, in telepathy, it might have been there were times that I would maybe be with friends where my, I might know something they were going to say before they said it or something yes. like that, but nothing that I would have any memory of that was so astonishing or anything. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you say that you would leave your body and you would travel around the rooms and check and make sure that your family was there or whatever you were doing, that is uh, remote viewing, or uh, the other word for that is called uh, clairvoyance, is it? Well, actually, I th I'm not sure if this is called astral travel. I, I, I oh, really, okay. I, yeah, I never learned the word remote viewing until I met Dean Radin and Russell. Mm -hmm. I had never heard that word. Me either, yes. Um, described what was happening when you were doing medical diagnosis you were going to find someone's body in a different place and see what was wrong with them. So you were remotely viewing someone else. Okay. Uh, but I had never thought of it that way, but that's really what the training, part of that training really was, was seeing something in a different location than where you were. Yes. And did you grow up with people around you that had these abilities as well that you spoke to and could talk about what you were seeing or feeling? Well, my grandma Schneider lived in our house with us and she was from Branks, Poland. And she, as my father used to say, was a very spiritual woman. Yes. And she, I think she learned to read and write English very late in life. She came, came to Ellis Island to this country when she was 18, I think, something like that, you know, so she had grown up in, um, uh, during the uh, World War One in um, uh, Poland, so she had suffered a lot of different experiences, and the one thing that she shared with me, which I think was the beginning of her spiritual journey as a, as a young teenager, was she had survived typhoid fever, yes. and her sister, or I'm not sure who, one of her family members died in the bed near her, and she was expecting to die also. But instead, and this is the story she shared with her broken English as a child. Yes. So this planted in my, my, my thoughts. Mm -hmm. And um, she would say that um, the way she described it is that she was rising, rising, rising above her body, and the fevers were so, so high, and she was going up, up, up. And then all of a sudden something happened and she was plunged right back down into the body. Yes. And then she survived and the fever broke and she survived typhoid fever, which is not, you know, it's a hard suffering to go through. Most people died. Right. She um, experienced that. And so as a grown woman, when I met her, she would tell me the stories, you know, that were currently happening to her. Okay. At night, she would go to sleep and she would visit with the dead people. This was her family. She didn't feel like any kind of fear or anything like this. She had lost a son. You know, there was a lot of death in those years. Yeah. She's different people. And uh, she would speak to them. She'd tell me who would come to visit. They'd come to visit her, the dead spirits. And she would talk to them and say how they were doing. And this seemed sort of like normal to me. I don't know. Just. Yes, she, I know. Yeah. I was a little girl and 
I never thought anything like she was weird or it was scary or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And then my father, her first son, um, noticed that he had comments from some of his uh, friends from the Theosophical Society that I might tend to be more of a spiritual type child. And um, he never, anytime I told him about any of the things that would happen to me, a dream or like when I told him his father was going to die and he said, how do you know he's going to die? I said, I don't know. I just know he's going to die. Yes. He's yelling, oh, how do you know? How do you know? I, said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he was in California and I was in New York. So he had to fly back when all of a sudden they rushed my grandfather and said, you know, he had massive cancer and he's going to die. My father oh. back home from California back to New York because we lived in California at the time. I was okay. having my grandfather when I saw that. So um, he never uh, discouraged me on any of these things. And in fact, when he was the one who paid for me to do the Mind Dynamics course. And uh, he was very proud of me there and the amount of uh, abilities that I was able to so easily work with. And um, he also was reading a lot of spiritual books in those times. And he was doing a lot of spiritual research. We had a we lived in a vegan commune. There was a, uh, we had a, a Hindu monk that lived with us. So wow. doing yoga and meditation and different, you know, a lot of fasting, which also can bring on spiritual and experiences. But I think the biggest experience my father ever had in his life, which changed his life, is he was in a federal penitentiary in prison um, on a stealing car thing that had happened, but it ended up in federal. Mm-hmm. and he was in solitary confinement and when he was in a solitary confinement he experienced and I actually have just because of my podcast shows and interviewing other people have heard a similar spiritual story yes. and I'd never heard anyone but my father say this story that's why it's so important we get out there and share this with other people exactly he said he was an atheist and he raised us as atheists so he was not you know a religious Jew like his you know his his parents had been mm-hmm three wise men came into his cell and showed him like in a movie, what his life as a criminal would be, should he choose to take the, or accept the offers he was getting because he was meeting some of the most famous gangsters in federal penitentiary. Uh, He met with, um, what was his name? Uh, uh, Costello. Yes. Uh, So they shared eggs together and breakfast and la la la. And then people were offering him jobs. You know, like when you get out, would you come work for me? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And when he had this three wise men experience and he said, I'm looking here, I'm in a locked cell. How could anyone enter my cell? Three men are standing there with long beards. They look like the three wise men and they show him his life to a point of realizing that in that moment, he had to change his path and leave the car thieving life and go on the straight and narrow and, 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 and lead a different life. So there's an experience where spirituality affected him in such a deep way. So that's the kind of father I had. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like he did anything to ever squash anything that ever happened to me or I experienced. He might say over and over again, what do you mean? What? <laughs> yes. Yeah. What do you mean? He's going to die. You know? <laughs> he wanted to know how you knew that, I guess, right? Yes. And yeah. he also gave me his guidance on how I should conduct myself, knowing that, you know, like some people call these things gifts or whatever. I don't think of it that way. I always feel like whenever it happens, it's always like a special surprise and I'm grateful. But I never expect that I'm going to, I'm always like this or these things are going to always happen to me. I don't know. Each okay. day day maybe this is with you you know for your lifetime so far that's what I've experienced and Mm -hmm. there's times where it's like a roller coaster where there's times where you have so much intuitive and information coming in that's unbelievable and other times where it feels like nothing will ever happen you can't really perceive anything you're not getting any gut feelings Mm -hmm. where is it where did it go right kind of comes in you know Mm -hmm. you know this time where our energy may be not uh, you know, you may not have enough of it to deal with those things. It's it's hard to know, but I'm just saying it's not like 24 seven. You're like this. No. Maybe you are saying I'm not. No, uh, it comes and goes and yeah. uh, depends on who I'm speaking with, uh, what I'm doing that day. 
and sometimes I'll go for days and I'm like, have I lost that ability? Um, one of the things that comes across me sometimes, uh, comes across my gut, and it's uh, something really good's going to happen. But I don't know what it is, but I know something good's going to happen. And of course, when you're busy, uh, you don't write these things down so you find out what, what did happen. Um, and uh, so I have to, you have to actually train yourself to accept it, recognize it, look for it. You're almost like an investigator at times, but even to record, I, I find one of the biggest thing is just record those feelings so that you can uh, draw a line to them, right? When that it happens. your dreams, because often oh, yeah. we don't know what the dream, um, I had uh, cancer in my thirties, cervical cancer. And I was doing this 10 day silent meditation retreat with Joseph Goldstein in Hawaii. It was a Vipassana retreat. Yes. I had never done, I'd done one day meditations, but the idea of being silent with my big new New York Jewish mouth, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> so that was the most powerful thing I'd ever done. But the dreams that I had during it, I was remembering like eight dreams, not one dream or a dream every couple of days. Every night was filled with dreams. Wow. It weren't making sense at that time necessarily. But when I look back on that journal, I could see where they related to, to working on healing the cancer. But I couldn't understand then what was going on, you know, what the symbols meant or why did I feel. So, you know, to any of your listeners, don't even wonder what the reason is. Just write it down. Just jot down a few little notes about something you might feel in your gut or some dream you might have. And just keep, you know, you don't have to write a whole journal. Just write and it'll be something you might refer to later and say, ah, that's what it was. Yes. And I find that the more you, um, like you say, grateful, the more grateful you are for these things that come to you, the more they seem to come. I always say you step out of the way and the things can come through. It's right. when I get in the way with my logic or skepticisms or any of those things thinking, oh no. Uh, and then later I say, see, you knew and you didn't listen to yourself. <laughs> exactly. Also, yeah. The more you honor your inner voice and your inner being, the, the stronger the voice becomes, I feel also that it's not as quiet inside. You start hearing your inner voice louder or your higher self, or I'm not sure what name you want to put on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, before I published my book, Gail, uh, I, I had to garner up some, some courage because a lot of people uh, don't want to talk about uh, these types of abilities. Uh, they don't want you to know about them. And, and people uh, who don't have these abilities, and there are groups of people who don't have these ability, abilities, they might feel that you can read their mind or you know things about them that they would wish that you just didn't know about them. But that's, that's not true. These things that come to you, unless you uh, read people, um, you know, like, you know, people say, well, if you know that, then why can't you tell me about this? Well, no, I can't tell you about that because I have no connection to that. I don't have, it means nothing to me. I but on the this very well, don't we? What's that? Sorry. You understand what you're talking about very well. Yes, <laughs> I know. And then on the other hand, I can sit with someone and have a conversation and all of a sudden something comes over me and I just start telling this person all of this stuff. And I say, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I need to tell you about. And by golly, it comes true. These things that I tell them comes true. And I've only done it. It's only happened a few times to me, but it's incredible. And, you know, one of the things you said is you get out of your own way. You just become a conduit of uh, these energies or these messages that come to you. Do you is, is, is that how it feels with you or? That, you described it beautifully. And one of, the, one of the samples I have has always been my brother-in-law who's watched me since I'm a teenager do the medical diagnosis and all of the different things that have happened through the, the years. 
And in fact, he's been the sweetest guy because now he's my Cisco and Ebert and he watches my podcast and gives yes. me. Nice. And, uh, he's as skeptical as they come. So it's, it's, it's just an excellent person. So he always says to me, well, I'll only believe you if you could tell me exactly how much change is in my pocket. <laughs> so it doesn't matter that I might've just said, this and this is going to happen. And then it does. None of those things matter. He just wants to know how much change. <laughs> and then he will believe me. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> I've gotten over it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I have to prove anything, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Uh, what a funny guy. Uh, so, I'd like to take, uh, I'd like to ask you about um, the Gonsfield experiment uh, that you did with uh, somebody that we both know is Dean Radin. Yes. In fact, the experiment was written in his book, Supernormal. Yes. The on telepathy. And it doesn't say Gail Heisen, it just says Gail, but I am that Gail. <laughs> and Wonderful. It's it clinks back. It clicks back to something you had just we were just talking about, and I almost interrupted to say this. So I was glad I wanted to wait for the questions. Exactly what you were saying. We were talking about how one day you were feeling like for two or three days nothing was happening, and maybe nothing was going to happen for you. Mm -hmm. When my dad passed away, who I had the deepest you know connection with. Yeah. First off before he passed away, I was driving around for like a year, breaking down, crying. You know, and my father was healthy as an ox then, running around, he did lift weights, he was, health was his most important thing. So it's not like we're talking about a man who's taking pharmaceutical drugs or any right. kind of, yeah. talking about a, a man who'd been a vegetarian for 40 years that was only into health, only fasted, never saw a doctor in the 60 years of the lifetime I'd been with him. Right. And he, um, I just felt like he was going to die and I would just start, I would, it wasn't even a thought. My physical body would get overwhelmed with emotion while I'd be driving the car. It often happened when I was driving because I think that's when I'm in my most relaxed meditative state. Mm -hmm. And I'd pull over and let all this emotion come out and then I'd be fine again. And there was no information to be based to have this kind of deep emotional, you know, coming apart. Okay. And I didn't want to tell him about it because I felt like all these other times when I knew death was coming, I've always been correct. And I didn't want to think that this could possibly be happening. And the man was healthy as could be. Right. Well, sure enough, I won't go into, it's a very long story, but he ended up where we had to bring him to a hospital because he had collapsed and he had never been to a doctor. He had no, we had no medical anything's about him. Mm -hmm. And um, they said he had uh, uh, intestinal cancer blocking and he needed to have surgery immediately. And he lived three years after this managing his cancer and all this. And I had said to him, dad, I, I, I was feeling the coming of your death and I was wondering if I should share that with you. And he said, no, he said, you should never tell another person when their death is coming. It's for them to discover and experience it themselves. Okay. And I had never told him in dying bed that I'd been carrying this feeling for so long. Yeah, hard to keep he that in, Gail. Yes. Hard, hard to keep that to yourself, right? And the one other teaching I meant to share with you earlier was that he had always told me, you never take money for these gifts that you have. Okay. To you from the universe, he'd say, mm -hmm. and you give them freely because they're not really from you. They're just yeah. coming to you. Yes. And I always valued that advice since I was a teenager. And it's been my rule since. I'm sure I could have done things to charge money and do things, but I will not do that. Any experiments I'm in, I do them all voluntarily. Right. And um, anyway, so this lays up to the Gonsfield experiment. Yes. Because when my dad died, I was taking care of him, all of us kids, five of us, 24 seven. No one else took care of him, but the five of us and my mother. And it was round the clock for two months. And then he passed because the rest of his body was so healthy 
he couldn't die. Yes. So we had the cancer to take over. And it took everything out of me. And Dean called me up and it had been one year since he had died. Mm-hmm. Dean called me up and said, come down. I have an experiment here at, in, at uh, IONS I want you to try called the Gonsfield. And I said, oh, I always wanted to, no, no, this was the, um, Gonsfield was separate. I'm sorry, this was the double slit experiment. The double slit. Okay, let's talk about that. I gotta do Gonsfield next. Okay. And he said, I wanna try this double split experiment. It had to do with taking your mind and interfering with beams that were generated from a special expensive device that's mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of dollars. And you're interfering with your mind to stop the photons. So right. it's an actual effect that's going on in the machine and it's then it shows on the um computer on the screen because you're all hooked up to all these things to show what's going on right well i said all right i'll agree to do this i said but i don't have any mojo anymore and i can't do anything psychic and i i after my dad died i've just it's a year now but i have nothing left right he said my husband said just go you'll see just go i know you were ready just go yeah i said dean i don't think i'm you know whatever and he hooks me up to the machine and I'm thinking about my dad and all of a sudden, and excuse my audience words, but I just said to the machine, I'm just gonna blow the whole fucking thing up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I said that and I'm locked in the Faraday cage in pitch black. Everything is pitch black. Cause I mean, it, it, I wasn't in pitch black but it turned pitch black. Okay. So I- I did something bad in the Faraday cage and I somehow did something to the equipment. Okay. Dean comes in to let me know that there was no electricity through the entire IONS campus around everywhere for that one 30 second or whatever it was, there was no electricity. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. It was a sunny, beautiful day. There was no wind. All their stuff is underground. So like he called it an anomaly and said, you affected this machine. I wished we could have gotten the data, but there was no electricity to to, <laughs> to record it. Record <laughs> it, and that was really. I just wanted to answer to the fact when you think your mojo is gone, and I thought that that was forever. Yes, it wasn't. It came back very strong in a big, big way. Big way. The second experiment we did—that's the Gonsfield one. The that's the normal, not the double slit. <laughs> This one was hysterical. I had a contractor that I had hired to do some construction in my house and remodel my kitchen. And just like you were saying earlier that sometimes someone comes in and you just know all these things about them and you don't know why. Right. That's what I had with this contractor named Tom. And Tom comes into my house. I go to give him his the first week's paycheck. And he sits down and I say, you know, I don't know you. I said, but I have to know all these things I have to tell you about your life. And I told him all these intimate things about things that had happened when he was traveling in Mexico and his child was left at a daycare. And I explained all the things that had happened. His mouth fell open. He said, no one knew this. Nobody knows this story. How do you know this story? I said, I don't know. <laughs> he had no idea. I also told him things like, you know, I know you, you You told me you and your wife do ballroom dancing and you're, you're, you know, construct, you know, you're in construction. I said, but I saw you like a prize fighter. I said, I'm seeing you like beating people up with fists and, you know, you know, this kind of stuff. Yes. He tells me, I can't believe you saw this. He said, I, I went to the Chuck Norris school of, you know, boxing or self-defense or something. And him and his brother used to go around and, you know, go into bars and beat people up at night, you know. <laughs> fighting you know he's not the kind of man he is now but he was talking about as a young kid you know yeah so I had mentioned this to Tom and he just I mean to Dean Radin and he said why don't you bring him in and that's who we'll do the Gonsfield experiment with and I'd heard about the Gonsfield because it's the most respected uh, proven ESP that scientists respect in the scientific community and I'd read about it and I think it's been around since the 70s I'm not sure And I just thought, oh, I'd love to do that someday. And finally, it came into Dean's lab to do that. Wonderful. So we come in and 
Tom has never done anything psychic or had any experiments or knows anything about any of this kind of stuff. He's just the contractor guy who does the ballroom dancing and whatever. Right. So, and has, he's never met a character like, like me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Dean has him in his office and he has, has Tom looking at a photo that's going to be selected on the screen. And his job is to just be focusing on that photo and telepathically send me the message of what he's looking at. I'm in the basement at Ions and I'm in the Faraday cage and um, I'm supposed to be saying or drawing or what. No, I'm, I have me, I have ping pong balls over my eyes. Right. So drawing anything. And I'm in, I'm, I'm in this shielded room. I've got the ping pong balls on and they're supposed to do something about the lighting or how it affects the red your brain. lighting or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I start telling him the image of what I see which you can read in Supernormal. Well, for me, whenever I'm doing an experiment for Dean or Russell, I get the info within the first 20 seconds. The experiment's always supposed to last for 20 minutes. Oh. <laughs> you, and I, so I start getting bored and then I start making up stories. And <laughs> I, I hit the nail on the head immediately. It was the Great Pyramid, which okay. I happened to be going to two months after this, uh, this this particular uh, Gonsfield experiment. And when I described it, Tom just figured, though, that's the end. And Dean was busy waiting for the 20 minutes to be up. So he was doing paperwork. And what Dean didn't know, and I only found out some, I don't know, maybe a year later, and yes. Dean didn't find out till he was just on a podcast on my podcast, was that after I did that, Tom just started looking around the room at all of Dean's things and not focusing on the target anymore because he figured, well, she said it with this and that's it. So I started to describe the things he was seeing <laughs> <laughs> or for the rest of the thing, but I was describing the things in the room. <laughs> Tom, who's never done an experiment, doesn't tell us any of this. Uh, Dean sends a film group over that was from Japan and they were doing a documentary and they came to film me about the documentary. And I told them about this Tom and this story. And so they had Tom as part of the interview. And that was when we discovered, he said, yeah. And after she described the pyramid perfectly, she described the photos on his wall and she was describing this thing I was looking at and that thing I was looking at. He said, but I didn't say anything. <laughs> I said, kidding. He, he thought it was part of, Tom thought it was part of the experiment. He thought that, you know, I did the one thing. It doesn't matter the other things I'm saying through his eyes. Okay. So I, I thought I had told Dean, but I had never told him. And so when he came on my show this year and we were talking about that experiment and how, you know, what was going on. And then I told him, he said, you're kidding me. I said, no, I said, turn left. I was describing all the other things. And then when he turned to, to Tom and saw he wasn't looking at the computer, he said, no, you're supposed to keep focusing on the computer for 20 minutes. <laughs> so anyway, it was a very, it was, it was one of many unusual uh, psychic connective experiences I had with this gentleman, Tom. I was able to see through his eyes for whatever reason, I don't know why some mm -hmm. people just have like this easy, and I always feel like connected and Sometimes I think if you believe in other lifetimes or if you believe in reincarnation, which you know I'm not 100% on anything, but maybe this is really true. It feels almost like I've known the person in another lifetime. Yeah. And like I somehow connect into them in a, in a deep way. But mm -hmm. where I could say, I don't know, you know, I have no idea why that happens. But right. that was story proof. And also proof that things for me, always seem to be going on besides the experiment during the experiment. Yes. <laughs> I learned stuff about myself. Like I learned so many things from being a subject for these two gentlemen in their experiments. And I'm happy for whatever data and things that I was able to give them and whatever they needed for their, you know, what they were looking for. But the things that I've learned from my own self, like uh, I never knew that I could do precognitive remote viewing. Right. So they sat down and asked me to do this. And all of a sudden I was telling them the picture that hasn't been selected yet. 
and it's going to be selected at three o'clock. But at one o'clock, I'm sitting with Russell in the office and I'm drawing the tree and the water and the things that are in the picture. But a random number generator hasn't picked the picture yet. It has 300 National Geographic pictures to pick it from. Right. So that's the future. So I learned that I had that ability with them. I didn't know I could do that. That is astounding, Gail. That's incredible. You're listening to the Rhonda Grant Show right now, whose podcast has been treated with digital audio health by my sponsor, Symatrex. And we're listening to Gail Heisen today. And Gail, let people know where um, uh, they can reach out to you uh, on your website and also uh, you have a podcast I'd like you to talk about and uh, how they may uh, listen to some of your watch, actually, some of your podcasts on YouTube. Well, we, we, we'd love to get some more subscribers and listeners. So any of you out there that would like to watch our podcast, it is called, it's long, so I'm going to read it to you. <laughs> uh, our podcast is... A small, well, our website first is a small medium at large.co. I do know that there is another small medium at large site that another woman has, but look for the one for Gail Heiston. And our um, YouTube channel is a small medium at large podcast at gmail.com. And that's also our email. So our email and podcast links seem to be the same. So mm -hmm. you should be able to find this. And actually on the website, if you go to the website, it has all the different shows. Like I've been on Jeffrey Mishlove's New Thinking Aloud. And so all those shows, plus all the small, medium at large podcasts are all on the website. But just go to the YouTube channel. And if you just type in Gail Heisen or a small, medium at large Gail Heisen, it'll come up right away on YouTube. We have, you know, I think we've got about 16 or 17 shows now. We do a show every other Wednesday. So it's only two shows a month. And uh, I'm having all sorts of interesting guests, but mostly we want to talk about intimate stories and things that help for people to heal in their own lives when they hear familiar stories that maybe might bring them comfort. Oh, wonderful. That's excellent, Gail. Thank you. So what I like to ask our, my guests on the show is what extraordinary discovery have you found in your life? And it's been so colorful that I'm sure that you have so many to talk about. But can you think of one that sort of stands out, uh, you know, beyond the Gonsfield experiment and the double slit experiment? <laughs> well, I say when I followed my dreams, I've been led to really amazing experiences. And um, one of them being, I had a dream that I should go to New Mexico and that there was someone I was supposed to meet there. And that was in 1987. And I met a Weechol Indian man named Miguel there. And now it's 2022. And I'm still involved with the Weechol Indians in the mountains of Mexico all of these years and my involvement became very deep where I went there for six different trips and was in a remote area in Mexico where you can only go by invitation and not very many white little short Jewish women have been there. <laughs> and um, I, uh, I found ways to be of service to help them over the last all these years. And had I not followed that dream and followed, you know, and, and there are things that Another person would say, what are you crazy? You're buying a ticket to go to New Mexico to see someone you don't even know if it exists, you know? <laughs> but I don't think of those things. When I look back at my life, I'm going to be 67 next month. I did, I took a lot of risks and things. And as a single little four foot 11 person, you know, when I went to places and journeys and did things that I'm lucky to be alive to talk to you, to tell you about them because mm -hmm. they, have happened that you know that it was dangerous the places I went to and things that I did but I always somehow felt like protected by whether it's a higher force a spiritual guide or something something has protected me through my whole life because I've experienced tremendous traumas 
And I've gone through a lot of uh, experiences that in some person's life, just one of those would be enough to set you off the edge. Okay. And I've been able to come through all of this and, and be somewhat of a whole person. And so I, I think um, I'm just really grateful that I didn't let shoulds stop me or shouldn'ts stop doing the things that I did, you know, because a lot of the things were, were just a gut feeling or a dream or a, I feel like I should talk to this person. I should go to this spot right now. And things have happened from following that gut level feeling. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it's such a powerful, I mean, a, a lot of people wish uh, that they were more in touch so that they could feel guided and protected and all of those things. But what a powerful feeling it must be, Gail, to do the things that you've done and actually feel guided and feel protected. Well, I feel that I've only learned this now in my more wisdom years. When you look back, things I was never knowing how I was being protected. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, And that's the thing is in retrospect, you realize of all the things that happened and here you are at 67 years of age, uh, having your own podcast and talking about these things and reflecting back on your life and the things that you've done. I I just, it's astonishing. I love it. Well, I, I love what you're doing in having a podcast that are bringing out these kinds of stories in people, because I think this is what we need to share more of. I agree. Mm-hmm. It sure is. One of the other things that I like to ask my guest is, do you feel that you've been called to your journey? I know this may sound silly, but it doesn't. It won't. I was initiated as a Buryat a Mongolian yellow shaman. Yes. In uh, 2011. And I felt that that was the most, one of the most important things that gave me, I don't know, I don't want to, it, it gave me a form or it gave me something to be able to do the things that I've been doing, but now say I'm doing them with my shaman clothing on. Yeah. when I now with my shaman clothing on, I feel very protected by everything I did to be initiated as a shaman to then continue doing the work I do with friends and family who will come to my house because they've lost a loved one. They don't feel complete. They feel like they're missing something. And we experience some forms of mediumship or I'm not exactly sure what the words are you want to use, but when they come to me, we make a connection and we do something together that I don't have words for that's in the invisible. And when they leave between all we've done is sound and welcoming in spirit, we seem to have a very positive experience together. And the person will then leave feeling like better or lighter, and you can see it in their face. Mm -hmm. Any way that I could do that kind of service or help or, um, uh, you know, for me, it's often usually around death a lot. you know, I, I want to be there with the person or I want I make prayer candles when people have died for their family so that they would have a way to connect with their family by lighting that candle. And I tell them, you know, I put a lot of energy into the candle itself and I give it to them to have as their altar. And I found that a lot of people don't even realize sometimes when they've lost a loved one that setting up an altar in their house with whether it's their ashes sitting there, their their some a piece of their clothing or an item of theirs or however you do it with flowers and mm-hmm. things important that is in the healing and and in the grieving process so these are things that i just offer to do that's nothing to do with monies or yeah. you know i don't I have a sign out or i don't say no. come to me problems you know it's, <laughs> no it's where if there's a if there's somebody hurt or they need something, if I'm there, I, I want to be able to help in whatever way I can. And sometimes you do have to help somebody with money or a thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Be able to help other people 
And that's why I'm hoping these podcasts somehow, you know, just, I always say, if just one person listens and gets something out of it or finds uh, someone else that helps them that they've seen as a guest or whatever, this is like a chain of things that's going along a ripple in the pond, whatever, that it's helping another person. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, uh, and someone um, uh, that I have interviewed on my podcast is, he said, it's as though you are providing a portal for people to share their lives, their stories, and, and to help others. And I was, I love that. I thought that makes so much sense to me because you just like myself, I just happened into being a podcaster. I never thought about it. I never dreamt about it. I, I didn't know anything about it. And I was asked to be a podcaster. And I was like, what, you know, I had to learn about it. I had to learn the craft and the skill. And I, my, my podcast, I, I think I'm at my 47th show or 48th. You'll probably actually be my 49th or 50th podcast that I've done in a year. I, I try and do them once a week. And for some reason, I keep on coming back to it, that that's what I want to do. I feel that I'm providing a service. I don't know what it is. We may never know what it is unless our, our, uh, our listeners let us know. Um, but the yeah. fact that you are on YouTube and you can count your subscribers and know the people that are your followers, that I, I, that's fantastic. My show is actually going to be going up on YouTube in, within the month. All of my, all my episodes are going to be there. So I'm, I'm anxious to see. Well, you know, some people, like when I was talking to some people, they don't have time to like watch a YouTube. Right. So really, been, you know, audio is really what I think is the most popular uh, form because people are working or they're busy and they're out in their garden and they're listening to the podcast at the same time. Yes. The thing that I like about, excuse me, about the YouTubes is when I was just like on Jeffrey's show or when I've been a guest on other people's show, is I can then share the actual photos of the things that we're talking about or the people. Yeah. So that's the only difference I find in, you know, you get to see the faces, but yes. when you're sharing things for them to see, that's like what, what a weech all ceremony looks like, or right, you know, that you're hearing it, but when you see the picture, it really is amazing to see the photos. Yes. Or your and your what do you call that? Uh, your heart that you have. Yes, the joy. Right? The, and you can play it. And yeah. uh, and I've seen uh, people play uh, the flute on uh, Buddha, the gas pump. And mm -hmm. so it, yes, it, well, and the eye is a window to the brain. It resonates oh. with you. It anchors you to. It, it's, anyway, it's a good, you know, it's another form. And so these are these, you know, so I don't really have a, the other sort of shamanic thing that I had just done in, actually this week was my, it was my mother's 95th birthday wow. and sisters came from New York and everybody came. And I have had this thing that some people think is strange, but I think is a beautiful thing, which is every one of my nieces, I don't have any grandchildren yet. So every one of my nieces, when they've had a child, I've asked them for their placenta from their, from their birth. Oh, tell them that and that they thought Auntie Gail was a little crazy. <laughs> they, they love Auntie Gail. And yes. The, um, and they were placentas were all over the country. So they weren't here at my house. They had to fly them to me. Right. Or bring them manually whichever way. And then I keep them in the freezer until they arrive. And so I'd had this, I, I, I have eight of them now and I've, we've planted seven trees and each child's placenta, I do a ceremony and I wait. For, that's why I keep it in the freezer until the child can actually be there for the planting of the tree. Wow. And sometimes put on my shamanic clothing. Sometimes I don't, but I use sound. And this little three-year-old Eli, our, our latest one, he was born right before COVID. I was sent the placenta. I have it in the freezer. I'm waiting for him to come. This child loved this ceremony. He loved the planting of the tree. Yes. When I 
special music and sound and did it around his body. He just stood there like this and closed his eyes like he was taking it in like oh. a Buddha. Yes, like a little Buddha, yes. <laughs> and, and, and he's half Asian. And we were putting the dirt in and it's a peach tree. And then I have a pottery studio because I make pottery. So I make a sign for each child with the year that they were born and their name. And then I put it under each tree in a plaque. So now this is the eighth tree and these kids, have, the kids are come, some of them are 10 years old now and they're taking the fruit off their own tree that's theirs. And that's I've, fantastic. Yeah, I've been here for 45 years. So it's, I'm not, I'm dying here. I'm not going. Yeah, there. you're not going anywhere. Exactly. Yes. My <laughs> will be fertilizing some fruit, future fruit tree. <laughs> yeah. Well, Gail, it's just been such a pleasure to have you on, on the show. You have so much to share that, you know, I'm offering you an invitation to come back again because uh, I'd love to hear more about you and the other journeys that you've had. I mean, you've had such a rich um, existence and there's lots more for you to talk about. Well, I would be more than thrilled to come back. I love coming on shows with people like you. And in the same vein, I would like to have you on my podcast show because I'd like oh, to talk about the book and the next book you have coming because I think the audience would love to hear this. And, you know, each of us has different audiences to reach. Exactly. But the more we do, the more we'll get our words out to other people. Yes. Thank you so much, Gail. Theme song for the Rhonda Grant show, Sun on the Water, is composed and performed by my friend John Park Wheeler. This is Rhonda Grant with the Rhonda Grant Show, author of Magical Forces Within, Extraordinary Discoveries in an Ordinary Life, inviting you to look for the magical forces within yourself today and every day. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you would like to find out more information about Rhonda and her upcoming guests and the work that she does, go to her website, rondagrantauthor.com. That's rondagrantauthor.com. Digital Audio Health by Cymatrax.